guys. How's everybody? How's everybody there at home or in your car, live streaming? It's good to be here. I'm Pastor Jonathan, one of the ministers here at Anderson Hills United Methodist Church. I want to welcome you. Um, we're beginning a new series uh, called What's Your Number? And this series is based on a personality tool called the Enneagram. And last August, I remember we were meeting in Susan Mahaney's uh, living room. We were planning out the series uh, for 2020. And this came across, and I was very fascinated by it. Uh, a couple of months ago, I took the uh, inventory and just absolutely hooked. Uh, been growing a, a lot spiritually through this tool. Um, over the past few weeks, um, I've seen that and understanding myself um, and helping me interact with others as I know their number, also with their <laughs> the differing personalities. Um, I want to explain what the Enneagram is real fast and do an intro. It's a, a categorization tool that classifies human personality into a typology with nine in, interconnected personality types. It's similar if you've heard uh, the Myers-Briggs. It's been utilized for, for years and years and years for personality inventory. And that's been utilized by corporations. And the Enneagram is becoming more and more uh, popular and giving fruitful production out of staff and businesses and then also in relationships. Um, I don't know, I, I look back at the history and it, it seems like it goes back to uh, the Catholic Church and I showed a symbol up here, it reminds people of the pentagram uh, which is used for cult groups uh, which makes I think Christians a little nervous and, but the word comes from Latin Two Latin words, inia for nine and gram for diagram. And the diagram you see is simply made up of, of lines that show the connection between us and the various personalities that we experience together. And so you can kind of see, for example, threes at times have similar traits to type six or type nines. And so um, Don Rizzio, Roman Catholic, uh, used it as a spiritual formation tool and invented this and it's really really profound I want to encourage you to take the test um, we have a couple ways of doing that you can find out online and then also um, in your Bible reading plans um, and then on your link and so I don't know if you've grabbed one of these but we're gonna look at type 1 today um, it'll, it'll help us understand what drives you uh, what temptations there are in your lives core weaknesses um, you'll, help this, you'll help be able to look at what it means to be healthy and also, like I said, it'll deepen your spiritual practice. So I've seen this, this tool begin to help our staff grow and how we sharpen each other. And I think one of the primary goals of our staff is to, is to help everyone grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ and also in their relationship with one another. And so we're called to reflect Christ to everyone in whom we interact with. Our lives are, are focused, and we just experienced in that worship on loving God, falling deeper in love with God, and also deeper in love with each other, especially our neighbor. And so it has, our uniqueness has advantages and disadvantages. Um, we have healthy versions of ourselves, but we also have unhealthy versions of ourselves. And so to understand and dig into the whys, of our personalities will be better equipped to be able to really get into God's rhythm and will and follow that. And, and 
I think it'll help us love and interact with each other in a deeper way with these personality types that we see. And so this is going to be the majority of our summer series looking at this. And like I said before, today we're going to look at Enneagram number one, which is the reformer. So reformers are described in this way. Pulled this right out of it. They're conscientious, sensible, responsible, self-disciplined, orderly, ethical. They feel personally obligated to improve themselves and their world. They desire to be good and live up to the highest ethical standards and affect positive change in the world. They're often dedicated to justice and social cause, causes and feel personally obligated to improve the world around them. Um, they also want to be right, strive higher, to be consistent in their ideals, to go beyond criticism as to so not be condemned by anyone. They don't like to make mistakes. They don't like chaos or situations that seem out of control. Neither, neither do they want to be embarrassed by emotional displays. Each week, uh, we're going to have a video of staff members who fit this number here at Anderson Hills and highlight each number. So we're going to look at a reformer on our staff. Let's roll tape. Another name for the type one reformer is the strict perfectionist. How does that fit you? Yeah, perfectionist definitely fits me. And I wish it didn't. Um, whenever I, I walk around the yard, I, I see a weed or two and I have to go and, and, uh, and put some spray on it. Um, when I'm home, first thing I do is go and clean up the, the dirty dishes in the sink or I open up the dishwasher and I find out it's not been loaded the right way and I have to reload it. Um, so I'm always going around looking for things to pick up, to straighten up. Right now I'm kind of on this kick of cleaning up the closets here at church and it's driving everybody else crazy. But for some reason having order in my life is really, really important. It reduces the stress and the anxiety when things are all in their proper place. In a word or two, what is your deepest fear? I think my, my deepest fear is to be found incompetent. And so to be perfect, to be found competent, I'm constantly trying to learn new things, to read, to, uh, to be able to be found competent in the eyes of other people. Part of that is I don't take criticism very well. And the reason is, is because I have my own inner critic and so when somebody comes and give me, gives me some negative feedback, I've already been doing that for the past 24 hours. Uh, and so I don't always respond very well. What I've discovered though is that, is that feedback, whether it's positive or negative, is a wonderful gift. And that if you listen to it, um, you learn so much more. How does type one, the reformer, impact your relationship with Christ? So, the reformer is always trying to be good enough to be accepted by God. And this is, of course, impossible. Today, in our sermons, we're talking about the, the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, he goes off, he spends his dad's money, um, he lives a wild life, and he decides he needs to come home, 
and get things right with his dad. When his dad sees him, he runs out and, and his dad gives him a big hug and accepts him. It's called grace. But the elder son, where's he? He's out in the field. He's working. He's been good all of his life. He's followed the rules and his younger brother has not. And so why is his father throwing the prodigal son a party? He's never thrown the elder son a party. So you get to that point where you have to realize there's nothing I can do to be good enough that God loves me just the way I am, that I am his beloved, and that it's grace uh, that saves us and nothing else. And until you understand that, you really don't understand what it means to follow Jesus. At their best, uh, they truly help in keeping orders. When they're able to do things, they can operate on a very high level of excellence. And they can challenge others to do the same. Ones at their worst, though, uh, is when they don't know what to expect. When chaos is around, rules keep changing, uh, they don't like when things aren't clear. And they just feel like this negative self-talk, like they're beating themselves up. And you heard Mark say that. Ones can be rigid perfectionist, very opinionated, but they can also be very gracious and wise, highly principled and self-disciplined. They work hard to improve things and make the world a better place. In the Air Force, I saw so many officers in the United States Air Force be this type. Kim's Uncle Smoke, that's his call sign, he is a number one, and I know it for a fact. And so it doesn't surprise me when a person like Mark Rowland says this. He says, at work, if I find someone who left their K-cup in the coffee machine, I take it and throw it away, and I think bad thoughts about that person's character who left it there. I once cleaned out the break room refrigerator, and I was sure everyone would be so grateful for my efforts, but they weren't. I threw away somebody's container of cottage cheese that had turned green. Don't tell Mark this, but I have a confession. That was my K-cup, and that was probably my food that was rotting in the refrigerator. Mark has very high standards, and I dig that about him. And when you begin to understand that, your interaction with each other becomes very, very incredible. However, however, <laughs> when ones become unhealthy, they can really dig into the resentment. And that resentment can turn into an emotion, which is anger. In fact, the, probably the deepest things that ones struggle with is judgmentalism. Judgmentalism. It's their sin. It turns into that, again, that, that anger at the world and people when they don't live up to those standards. And feelings of obligation of having higher standards than those around them leaves ones in a constant state of irritation with themselves, others, and the world. And being so critical makes them hard makes it hard for them to receive criticism. And so the truth is, the reformers have these high expectations of themselves that they can never reach. They have this inner voice, this self-talk that never goes away, always telling them, do better, do better, be better. And it makes them hard to, to relax and have fun. I don't know if this sounds like you. You might have some ones in this room right now. Or maybe you live with someone who's a one, or you have a friend who is a one. Maybe you and your living room are sitting right next to a one. So chances are, when ones become healthier and healthier, 
they can help you become pretty incredible people. And I dig that about Mark, like I said. So during this series, we're going to look at uh, the Enneagrams of different biblical characters. Do you know the Apostle Paul was the one? Before Paul became a Christian, he was Saul, a Pharisee, rule keeper, constant rule keeper. And he, he was passionate about those rules. And he didn't understand the totality of God's grace until he met Jesus. Another one was the elder son in the story of the prodigal son, found in Luke 15. So Jesus tells this parable to show the amazing grace of God and to show how God loves the prodigals, but also teaches kind of a warning to those Pharisees who uh, really have under their noses and eyes judgmentalism. Jesus tells this parable. And we not only see these prodigals, but he also tells them in the face of these Pharisees. Luke 15 begins this way. Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathered around them to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he even eats with them. So then Jesus tells Luke chapter 15, three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, where the, 99, where he, the, the shepherd leaves the 99 to look after the, law, the, the one, then the parable of the lost coin, where a woman is scouring her house, trying to find one of ten coins that is lost. And then finally, the parable of the prodigal son, where one son, out of two, leaves. And so you see the mathematical progression in this passage? I, when I was 20 years old, I went on a retreat called Chrysalis. And Friday night, they had, a, they had the, the prodigal son talk. This is the chapter that I came to fall in love with Jesus. <laughs> it brought me to God. And it was the parable of the prodigal son. And I was the prodigal son. And you know, see, I don't know if you know the, the story, but the parable goes like this. The younger son goes to his father, and he basically is saying, God, you, Father, you're basically dead to me. Give me my share of the inheritance right now. And the Bible said that he goes to a far country, he squanders all his property in destitute living. And the younger brother loses everything, he finds himself in desperation, he takes a job feeding pigs. Imagine Jews hearing that. His hunger, looking down in the husks in the hog trough, he remembers home. Home. Even slaves have more to eat than I do now. And he makes this confession, he goes, I'm going to go home. And I'm going to ask my father to forgive me. And then it says here, he continues, it says, it says this, his father was still a long way off. And his father saw him come over the horizon, his tattered figure. And it says his father was filled with compassion. And what does his father do? He forgets the dignity of his years and he takes off sprinting toward his son. And what does his father do? He throws his arms around him, even before the confession. And he kisses him. And then they have a party. Kill the fatted calf. And Jesus gives this vivid picture of grace. And so the son gets what he doesn't deserve. He gets total forgiveness. Obliteration of his past sin. And that's not the end of the story. The rest of the story in Luke chapter 15, let's take a look at it here. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He came near the house. He heard the music and dancing. So he called to one of his servants and asked, 
him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has have, has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. And I never disobeyed one of your rules. You never even gave me even young goats so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitute, comes home, you kill the fatted calf. Do you sense that deep anger? That elder brother's, his, his first response, response in verse 28? He became angry. He didn't even want to go in. Why was he angry? Because he was working. He was earning his father's favor through performance. He says, I've been slaving for you all these years. I've kept the rules. Elder brothers believe that God owes them a comfortable, good life because they have performed for that. He's so judgmental of his younger son. He doesn't even use his brother's name. He said, this son of yours. And then... Prostitution's never mentioned at all. He's the first one to bring it up. How does he even know that? He's just speculating. He's basically saying, this is not fair. And Jesus is telling this truth in the presence of those tax collectors and Pharisees. Both prodigals and Pharisees. Here's the trap elder brothers and number ones fall into. They obey God as a means to an end as a way to get things they really love. It's a relationship based on work, and that's it, not love. They have a flawed sense of expectation. God owes them because they have been dutiful and they've been obedient. There's no joy, there's no fun, there's no play in that grace. The father, the father tries to show him and tell him, please, he was lost. He's now found. He, he has come back home. Come in, celebrate. No. Continues. You see what that does to the relationship, man? Oh, horrible. Horrible. So what does, what, what do number ones need to fully understand? One word. Grace. 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 What we, the ones need to remember is grace. God bless God loves to bless people who don't deserve it. That's his nature, but he goes against everything one believes. It's a real stretch for one to accept that grace and mercy. It's really, it's really hard for them to accept that, that second chance, seeing a second chance of, or third chance or fourth chance of another person <laughs> like a younger brother. You know, it, it causes so much confusion and misunderstanding among church people, especially number one. Listen to this. Paul describes grace in Ephesians 2, 8. For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. You don't have to earn it. <laughs> it's a gift, and we have to accept it. You don't deserve it. You can't, you can't earn it. Simply not. Grace is unconventional, un, un, unconditional. It's unmerited. It's the extravagant love of God. It says, come, live in a love relationship with me, my child. You know, and, and ones begin to un- when they begin to understand and live into that, it helps set them free to live a life of freedom from performing to earn God's favor. And it truly makes them free to love God and free to uh, love others. And you see that in a healthy one. 
Um, I see this in Mark Rowland. I do. This week I reflected on how Mark Rowland sharpens me. He keeps me striving for excellence. He's goal-oriented. He helps me stay on track. He helps me follow through with my goals. I see his leadership over our staff that really has us operating at a high level. And I see that. And I'm just so blessed to be here on staff with Mark. He keeps us unified, focused on what we should be doing as ambassadors of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Mark could have said no to fresh expressions in breweries, but he developed that trust in leadership, and the bishop appointed me because of that trust in leadership. And he's, he's just so gracious about that. This church is now an excellent model for our conference and for fresh expressions, especially in breweries, across the country. And isn't it cool when we utilize God's given personalities and gifts to help us grow in our mission for the, for the transformation of the world of the gospel? How do ones grow? How can a one grow? This, this, has, this, where is that? this has some awesome, awesome stuff in it. I want to go through just real fast. They need to inject this message of grace into their hearts and see father running to them wrapping his arms around them and say just be joyful in my love joyful in obedience unto me ones you have to inject that in the fabric of everything that you are in every particle of the atoms and molecules that you are formed we have to get that ones need to say every day Jesus you're perfect and I don't have to be perfect to be loved by you and that's cool I dig I dig I dig Mark <laughs> I've said that a few times he's, he's so polished man he's he's he looks good he's got good shoes got you know he's always sweater vest and everything if I could wear the same thing every day I would wear it every day I think I've been Mark Mark Poppin said Jonathan didn't you wear that yesterday <laughs> I mean Mark he's just, he's just he he firms people when he's healthy. <laughs> he looks for the good in people. If you're a number one, you need to let loose uh, to, for control of others. Number ones, you need to journal and write down specific blessings of gratitude. And finally, ones need to let loose and practice play. Take a chill, relax, enjoy life, live in the moment, learn some jokes, <laughs> good jokes, be playful. And that could be a difficult for a number one. But do it. Again, just allow God's grace to operate in your life and see your world as adventurous and see others as a new possibility to be a venture to help you sharpen as well. If you live with one, you can show your love to them by appreciating the order that they bring in your life. Let them do things the way they believe it should be. What they want to hear from you is, I love you because you're a good person. What I'm saying to you Christians today is get a hold of this. What I'm saying to you once today, just cling to that message of grace. We're graced people. A life of Christian discipleship is about grace. It's the message of the gospel. It is based on grace. The cross is about grace. The resurrection is about grace. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is about grace. It's growing deeper in love with God in what? Joyful obedience 